Welcome, everybody. Good morning. A lot of new faces today, so welcome to the Abbey. Ask all the questions you want. Um, just do what's comfortable for you. I know when I first went to a Buddhist thing and I saw people bowing, I thought it was the weirdest thing I had ever seen. Um, later, when I understood what it meant and how it affects your mind, I started doing it. But, you know, just just do what feels comfortable to you and be sure and ask questions, you know, about what you don't understand or things that you want to know more about. So, let's just sit quietly for about a minute or two. Come back to your breath. I know that you meditated already, but we're just going to do a short meditation and then set our motivation, then we'll have the Dharma talk. Okay, so just sit up straight. Let your breath be what it is, but put your attention either in your belly or your nostrils and upper lip and observe the sense of the breath. And if you get distracted, just bring your attention back so that you keep your mind with what is happening right now, which is your breath going in and out.
So let's cultivate our motivation and listen and share together this morning so that we can gain information and knowledge to put into practice to improve the quality of our lives and not only to improve the quality of our own life but to be able to, through the ripple effect, be of greater and greater benefit to each and every living being and especially to be able to uh, lead others away from temporary and also uh, long-term suffering and unsatisfactory conditions. And so we do this by cultivating our own spiritual qualities. So let's have that as our motivation today. Buddhism for Beginners as the basis for our Sunday morning sharing the Dharma days. And so uh, today we're going to talk about the chapter on meditation. So how many of you have read the chapter before coming here? Any chance? Okay, a few of you have. Most of you haven't. Okay, so uh, let me just kind of talk in general about meditation because um, it's really important to understand what meditation is and what it isn't. Uh, you know, as soon as something hits Time magazine, that it, you know it's not going to be uh, completely accurate the way it's explained. <laughs> yeah, because many people now think you know meditation is just sitting there and imagining. You know, there you are on the beach with Prince Charming, and you know his you know, fancy car and this and that, and, and just day, basically daydreaming, yeah. And they'll say, oh, that's, that's meditation. No, there's a big difference between daydreaming and meditation, okay. Um, and we do them, first of all, <laughs> one of the differences is our motivation. We daydream, you know, for our own pleasure, immediate pleasure, isn't it? Uh, but we're meditating to try and really improve ourselves for some long-term goal. And also, when we're daydreaming, uh, we're just, um, you know, uh, encouraging all of our clinging and desires and attachments and this whole idea of me, I, my, mine, what I want, you know. Uh, whereas with meditation, we're trying to gain some wisdom, you know and some peace in mind, peace of mind and to develop our good qualities. So the you know the purposes are, are quite different. Yeah. And then what we do is also quite different. When we daydream, our mind just goes wherever our our clinging attachment takes us. 
when we're meditating, we're following a specific technique, which we learn through listening to teachings. Yeah, and so uh, hearing teachings and learning how to meditate is something really important. It's not just that you sit down and close your eyes and, you know, something happens. Um, <laughs> you don't know what, but you're waiting. Uh, it's not like that. You know, we, we receive instructions so we know exactly what to do. Because meditating is a skill like everything else. So it's something we learn and then something we practice repeatedly again and again. And then by doing so, then our skill and our ability really increases. Okay, so we have to keep at it as with any other thing. It's not just, you know, you do it once or twice and now I'm a pro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like getting your driver's license. You don't get behind the wheel once or twice and say, now I can drive. At least I hope not. <laughs> so... Um, there's different kinds of meditation in Buddhist practice, uh, and uh, also there's different spiritual traditions that have meditation. So the meditation techniques taught in the different spiritual traditions aren't always the same. I think most traditions have some form of breathing meditation, you know, because our breath is something that everybody does. It's non-denominational. You don't have to ha sign up for a particular political party or religious group in order to breathe. Um, they haven't legislated that yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, or taxed it, or, you know, given you, put it on the, well, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so, so most religious traditions that have meditation have something to do with the breath, at least one kind of meditation. But within that, there may be different ways that you use the breath or how you contemplate the breath. So you have to, you know, kind of uh, check that out. And there also may be different motivations with which you do your meditation. And then even within Buddhist practice itself, there's different kinds of breathing meditation. There's some that you do to develop uh, concentration, others that you do to help you develop insight. So, you know, it can be used in, in different ways. Um, but breathing isn't the only object of meditation. Yeah, there's, um, we can use many different things, uh, also depending on the kind of meditation we're doing. So in terms of types of meditation, and here's where the objects will also come in, there's different ways of, of dividing it. In, in one schema, you can talk about meditation that develops mental stability or concentration, and, mental, and then meditation that develops, um, uh, it's called analytical meditation, and that develops understanding. Okay, so the first was stabilizing meditation, you have one object, so that could be the breath, it could be the image of the Buddha, it could be the feeling of loving kindness. You know, there's different objects that you can use, but it's always a mental consciousness. You're not looking with your eyes at something and just staring at it like that, okay? You might look at something and then imagine it, but that's using your mental consciousness, not your visual consciousness. Okay, so the stabilizing meditation helps you to de develop some concentration, 
by stabilizing your mind on whatever your chosen object is. And so you don't change your object, you just keep it on that, and then you, uh, there's all sorts of instructions for how to, you know, develop the mental stability on the object. And then uh, the other kind of meditation there is analytic meditation, and there, uh, at the beginning, you are actually um, actively thinking about a certain topic. So it might be the topic, that, say, of our precious human life, or it might be the topic of, of cultivating fortitude um, and patience in order to counteract anger. It might be the topic of developing equanimity for all living beings. It might be the topic of the nature of reality. But there you are thinking about a particular topic in order to develop an understanding of it. Okay? And uh, then you combine those two eventually once you have the proper understanding and once you have some ability to concentrate. Then, after you do your contemplation or analysis of the object, then whatever conclusion you come to, you hold that with stability, with concentration, so that mm, the feeling of it, the experience of it, can really sink into your heart. Okay, so let's say you're doing a meditation there to, uh, you know, you just got really angry at somebody and so you're using one of the meditations to develop fortitude and patience. So maybe you spend some time thinking about the, uh, the fact that the other person's unhappy and it's because they're unhappy that that's why they did whatever they did that, you know, annoyed you. And after really contemplating it for what, some time, then your mind just goes, oh yeah, you know, this person's really unhappy. There's no reason for me to be angry at them. Yeah, because I know what it's like to be unhappy. And they're speaking more about their own experience than about me with whatever they did. And so you have this kind of feeling that, you know, a conclusion at the end of your contemplation. And then you just hold that experience in your mind with concentration, so that it really becomes a part of you. Okay? So that's a way of combining the, the stabilizing and the analytical meditation. That's an example of it. Another way of talking about of meditation, another way to kind of categorize different kinds of meditation, are the meditations that we do to transform our mind into a certain experience, and then the meditations we do to understand uh, an object accurately, okay, to develop insight into an object. So, for example, uh, an example of meditating in order to transform our mind into an experience would be the meditation on loving-kindness the meditation on compassion, because there we're trying to transform our mind into the experience of love, which is wanting beings to be happy, and compassion, wanting them to be free of suffering. Okay, So we want to generate that experience, that emotional experience in our mind. So that's the kind of meditation to transform the mind. And then there, the, the counterpart is the, the meditation that helps us to understand an object. 
So there, for example, we would be meditating on impermanence. Yeah? And we would have to, you know, really think about what is impermanence and how things are impermanent because they're produced by causes and conditions. And that everything that is, you know, depends on causes and conditions is changing in every split second without remaining the same. So there you're having to really contemplate to understand what impermanence is. Okay, you're trying to understand it, gain insight into it. Or another example would be to understand the nature of reality, the absence of uh, inherent existence. So there too, you would investigate in order to understand that object. So that's different than transforming your mind into a certain emotional experience, such as love and compassion. Okay? So there's those two kinds of meditation as well. Um, And then, you know, within Buddhist traditions, you know, there's... uh, Nowadays, you know, mindfulness meditation is the latest rage. And not within Buddhist traditions, but within society in general, it's gotten a lot of publicity, especially from the medical field uh, in recent years, because they found uh, that doing some kinds of of, um, mindfulness meditation can be very effective in helping people who have chronic pain. It can be very effective with people with um, obsessive-compulsive disorder, um, and with all sorts of other psychological things. And it can also be very effective for the rest of us, you know, who don't, who, you know, maybe fortunately don't, don't suffer from a physical or mental ailment that, that's quite chronic. Um, but it can really bring a lot of uh, self-understanding. Okay? And then, having said that, even within mindfulness meditation, there's different kinds of mindfulness meditation. And different Buddhist traditions will teach it in different ways. And if you're going to a doctor for mindfulness meditation to, you know, to learn it for chronic pain, the way it's going to be taught is going to be different than if you come to a Buddhist teacher because you want to learn about it in, in order to um, you know, proceed on a spiritual path and, and uh, develop your spiritual capabilities. Okay, so it's uh, it's something just to be aware of that you know what the context of your learning you know or or the place where you're learning. Okay, is very important. Um, so I think you know mindfulness meditation can be very helpful. Um, for you know the in medical you know situations and psychological situations. But you should be quite aware that if you do that, that that's not going to be the mindfulness meditation, the full mindfulness meditation as it is traditionally taught by the Buddha, which is taught for the purpose of liberating ourselves from cyclic existence. Because your doctor and your, and your therapist, they don't even know what cyclic existence is. You know? So they're not teaching it for that motivation. But it still can be beneficial, you know, there's no question about that. And uh, if you're learning it, you know, for medical or psychological or therapeutic reasons, then most likely you're you're going to learn the kind of mindfulness meditation that is just bare attention. And that involves 
using usually using your breath as the object that you come back to repeatedly but then while you're watching your breath and you usually watch your breath here at the belly and the rise of your breath as you inhale the, the fall or the rise of your belly as you inhale the fall of your belly you know contraction of your belly as you exhale but then you also are aware if other sensations arise in, in your experiential field or if different thoughts arise and you become very aware of what is going on in your mind okay and so for example let's say if somebody was doing this for chronic pain you know they would mostly focus on their belly you know when there was no other object but then let's say their uh, you know your back starts to hurt yeah and so then you would just note like you know pain but you don't you would just note the experience you know or maybe you wouldn't even note pain maybe you would just note tension or tightness okay maybe don't even label it pain to see what the raw sensation is, okay? And and then you might, if you're doing that, then you might be aware of, okay, there's tightness in my back. But then the next moment, my mind is saying, I'm going to be crippled for life if I don't stand up. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> and you watch the mind start, you know, buzzing off and and making this whole story of, you know, Oh, this is crazy. I can't sit here. I'm going to be crippled for life. This is absolutely too painful. What a crazy meditation technique. You know, the mind just spins off in who knows what. Okay? But you you watch it. So instead of jumping in to all the concocted stories that our mind is proliferating, we just stay present and watch those different thoughts arise and cease, arise and cease, arise and cease, without grasping onto any of them. Okay? Because what usually happens is, you know, the thought comes of, you know, my back hurts, I'm going to be permanently crippled. Um, you know, oh, that must that thought must be true. Yeah. Therefore, I've got to stand up and run out of here ASAP. Yeah. But you, you begin to just watch that thought and you realize, well, no, I'm not going to be permanently crippled. There's some discomfort, but that's all it is. There's just tightness. Yeah, there's just tightness. And all these other thoughts are simply thoughts. They're not reality. So you begin to be able to differentiate what is your raw sensory experience from what are all the proliferating thoughts that the mental afflictions, you know, spin, develop around just what the sensory experience is. Or you might be doing your mindfulness meditation, you're, you know, you're focusing on the breath, and then you hear a sound, yeah, and you just label hearing and leave it at that. Yeah, if the hearing keeps coming, you just keep labeling hearing, hearing, or maybe it's not so important, you go back to your breath. But then you may also notice that the mind starts, 
why is my neighbor playing this radio anyway at 7 o'clock in the morning when I'm trying to meditate? My neighbor is always doing all sorts of uncooperative things. Don't they know that I'm meditating now? Why do they have to play their radio so loud? Anyway, it's such a boring program. They're listening to Rush Limbaugh. Can't they listen to somebody else? <laughs> you know, and then, and then your mind is in full-blown anger. Okay? And it all started out with hearing. Didn't it? And you watch how your mind creates this whole story. It gets completely enveloped in all of its own judgments, in its preferences, in its opinions, and again latches on to all these things and thinks they're true and real and that you have to get up off your cushion and go tell your neighbor off. You know? <laughs> But when you're doing the mindfulness meditation, you just sit there and you watch, you can watch how this crazy mind develops all these opinions and ideas that have nothing to do with reality. And then you realize, oh my goodness, this is going on all day. Except most of the time, I don't even realize it. Most of the time, I don't just realize tightness or hearing. Instead, I get caught in my head, and then worse yet, not only do I spin with these ideas, but I act upon them, and I go and tell my neighbor off. Yeah, and I call my doctor and insist on having an appointment because, you know, I'm going to be permanently crippled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And you realize, oh my goodness, what is my mind doing all day long? You know, it's my mind is really out there. Yeah, and my mind is what's causing me a lot of my misery. It's not my neighbor. It's not my back. It's these, un these uncontrolled thoughts. Okay, so you begin to notice that. And then you keep coming back to your breath again and again and again. Because the breath is what's happening now. And you may have some sensory experience here and there, hearing or smelling or whatever. But you really become aware of how your mind proliferates with all sorts of unrealistic attitudes and views and emotions. Okay, So this can be very, very helpful. Like... You know, with chronic pain, you just, you know, you pay attention to the pain when it's there. But you don't, you know, tell yourself some whacked out story about it. And especially when it's not there, you don't pay attention to it. Or if you're paying attention to it, you're also watching how the pain changes. Because pain is not one solid boom. Yeah, it's very interesting, you know, when something hurts, try mentally to draw a line, you know, around the area that is hurting. It's very interesting. Yeah, try mentally, you know, your knee hurts or something. Well, exactly where is it? And you try and draw a line around it. But as you're drawing a line around the painful area, the pain changes. Okay? 
And so the pain may change place, it may change intensity, sometimes it just disappears, yeah? It may change, you know, from a stinging pain to a dull pain. You know, you just watch how, you know, these things are just changing moment by moment. Yeah? And so then, too, instead of getting so, you know, fed up with your pain or worried about your pain, you just watch it. Yeah? And it changes. I had one friend tell me, he was doing this once, he was on a meditation retreat, and he had a really bad pain in his shoulder, and he was watching it, and then suddenly the pain jumped to this shoulder. (laughs) Now what do you learn from that experience? What's the relationship between the mind and pain? Yeah, what is creating what? What is influencing what? Okay, and so so too, you know, if if you're doing the mindfulness meditation, um, you know, because uh, and some very strong emotion comes up, you know, maybe some grief comes up, or maybe some, you know, desire comes up, or some irritation comes up, then you just watch the emotion. Yeah. Again, not making stories about the emotion. Yeah. But you just watch the the emotion itself, the quality, the feeling of the emotion. And again, what happens as you're watching it is it it doesn't remain static and concrete. You know, it changes in some way or another. Yeah. So you begin to see anger is not one block like that that you have to act on. Yeah? And similarly, craving is not one solid block. It's just something that arises and ceases, arises and ceases. Okay? So this this kind of mindfulness meditation uh, can be very, you know, good for people in, in many, many different kinds of contexts. Okay? And that's something, like I was saying before, that that can be taught in a secular situation uh, for helping people right now with their lives. Now, if you're going to teach mindfulness meditation in a Buddhist situation, then the teaching is much deeper and uh, you're going to be approaching it with a specific motivation because in a Buddhist setting, your reason for doing the meditation uh, your primary reason is the is in the long term. You want to be freed from the cycle of existence, or you want to attain full spiritual awakening for the benefit of all being. So there you have a much longer term motivation that isn't just the relief of your own immediate, you know, pain or distress. Yeah. And then also here, when you would do mindfulness meditation, the uh, the Buddha taught the four establishments of mindfulness. So on the body, on feelings such as uh, pain, pleasure, and neutral feeling, on the mind, and on phenomena. And so here there's a whole teaching about, you know, just even mindfulness on the body, many different kinds of meditation that you do, of watching the body. 
you know, and thinking about the parts of the body and, you know, being mindful of what the body is consisted of and being mindful of the causes of, of our body and the effects of our body, you know, that our body will one day become a corpse. Yeah, and uh, you know, so all these things, the parts of the body, the experience of the body, you know, the types of bodies that sentient beings take. So there's mindfulness on all of that, or or mindfulness, and and there from um, uh, that, what the conclusion you draw is that the body is kind of foul in nature. You know, in our culture, we make this all of the body is beautiful thing. But you, when you start really examining the insides of your body, yeah, our body's really not so gorgeous, is it? <laughs> okay, so it's done to draw a specific, specific uh, conclusion in Buddhist practice that would help us reduce our attachment to the body. Okay. which is very helpful to reduce okay because attachment to the body at the time of death is makes dying really painful whereas if we can less lessen attachment to the body then dying becomes much easier you know whenever that time comes okay and then the second mindfulness is mindfulness of feelings so here we really contemplate painful pleasurable and neutral feelings yeah, and we we look at them in terms of our body, you know, physical pain, pleasure, and neutral, and then also mental feelings. Yeah, mental feelings that are pleasurable, unpleasurable, or neutral, and we become very f- familiar with them. And here, our wisdom grows because we begin to see how much uh, we we are reactive to our feelings. As soon as we have any kind of pleasurable feeling, craving arises and we want more. And we've got to have the object that seems to bring us the pleasant feeling and we crave the feeling, we crave the object. Okay. When we have an unpleasant feeling, yeah, our stomach hurts or mental unhappiness, then we have we react to it, you know, I don't like this feeling. I don't like this experience. I've got to change it somehow. Okay. And when we have neutral feelings, we kind of space out. So we begin to see how much of our life is lived in reactivity to painful, pleasurable, and neutral feelings. Yeah. And how little choice we actually take in making decisions in our life that so many of our decisions are just knee-jerk reactions to pain, pleasure, and neutrality, instead of really thinking about what is a wise decision in this circumstance? What is a wise mode of action? What are the results of my actions going to be? We so often don't stop to consider these because we are so intent on either getting more of the pleasurable feeling or destroying uh, whatever seems to be the cause of our unpleasant feeling. Yeah. And so we begin to see that, whoa, you know, I'm kind of emotionally out of control here. And I, I have a lot of opportunity to, to make wise choices, but I'm not taking that opportunity. 
I'm just being reactive, you know, like like our knee. Somebody hits our knee and, you know, it hit, you know. There's pain. Boing, I slap you. Or, I go, you know, or boing, you know, mental pain. Boing, I go in my room and cry. Yeah. Or mental pain. Boing, I yell at you. Yeah. And that, you know, we actually have choice when we have different feelings, physical and mental. But so often we just are reactive, you know, and miss the opportunity to really think about what we're doing. Yeah? And, you know, I think many of you are parents, and, you know, what's one of the chief things you think you teach your kids? Think about what you do before you do it. Think about the effects of your actions. And yet, when you look at yourself, do you do that? <laughs> yeah? So we're, we're all in this boat together trying to learn. Yeah? So, uh, uh, you know, that, so that's like the mindfulness of feelings. And then there's mindfulness of the mind. And here we just try and get a sense of exactly what the mind is. You know, not what the brain is, because the brain is part of the body. Yeah, the brain is the physical thing. You can put a brain out here and look at it. But our mind is formless. It's not made of atoms and molecules. It's the whole experiential part of us that cognizes and has emotions and experiences and so on. And so by becoming, developing mindfulness on the mind, you know, we calm the mind and we try and see exactly what is this thing that has the nature of clarity and awareness. What exactly is the mind? Yeah, which is a very, very interesting meditation. Because mm-hmm. the mind is what makes the difference between a live person and a dead person. Isn't it? Yeah, person's alive. There's a mind that's, you know, that's causing their body to move and, you know, there's somebody there. When death occurs, the, you know, the mind's gone. There's only the body, the corpse. So trying to understand what this mind is. And then the fourth mindfulness is on phenomena. And so here we might uh, investigate different kinds of mental factors. You know, like what is anger? What is fortitude? What is wisdom? What is concentration? What is resentment? You know, and be able to distinguish different kinds of mental factors in our own experience and be able to see which mental factors are conducive for our spiritual progress and our spiritual liberation and which mental factors keep us locked into cyclic existence, the cycle of constantly recurring difficulties that we experience. Okay? And so that mindfulness is, is very helpful too, you know, because it really helps us, uh, you know, make good decisions, and it also helps us see that there's no solid, concrete person in there either. Okay? So, mindfulness of the body helps us to see that the body isn't all, you know, glorious and beautiful. Mindfulness of feelings helps us to see that all of our our feelings in cyclic existence are somehow unsatisfactory, 
you know, and they because they so often lead to craving. Mindfulness on the of the mind leads us to to realize impermanence because we see how the mind is arising and ceasing all the time. And then mindfulness of all the other phenomena, mostly the mental factors, but also other phenomena, leads us to see that there's no concrete self anywhere. And so these four realizations destroy four entrenched misconceptions, distorted conceptions that our mind holds on to. And in that way, leads to purification of the mind and development of wisdom and then finally to liberation and enlightenment. Okay. So that's how you're going to be learning the, the mindfulness if you learn it from a Buddhist teacher because it's going to be taught within the context of well, what is cyclic existence and what, are, what causes it and what's the alternative and what's the path out of it. And, you know, and then teaching these practices in more depth. And so quite different than how a a doctor or therapist is going to teach mindfulness for the purpose of alleviating physical uh, pain or mental distress. So I think that's just good to know for, for people. Okay. In Tibetan Buddhist practice, we also... Uh, use visualization meditation, which can be uh, quite effective. And it's very different from daydreaming. You know, when we're daydreaming, we're visualizing too. You know, there's the ice cream, there's the pizza, there's Prince Charming, there's, yeah. Uh, but, But that kind of thing just promotes, you know, a lot of clinging and attachment and confusion in our mind. Okay, but uh, in the Tibetan tradition, when we're doing uh, visualization uh, meditation, we might, for example, visualize the Buddha. Yeah, and that can be really helpful in in our mind because you know when you look at the Buddha, the Buddha is sitting there so peaceful, so kind. His eyes are just wise, looking out on the world with acceptance and compassion. You know. And what, what we see, the, you know, what we put in our mind influences us so much. Yeah. If, if you look at a picture of Osama bin Laden, how does that influence your mind? The expression on his face. Okay. If you look at a picture of Lady Gaga, how does that influence your mind? <laughs> yeah. Both of those are very different. Then if you look at the Buddha, right? Yeah? So what, what we focus our mind on, we, you know, automatically kind of visualize. And it, it influences our moods. And it influences so much about our mind. So when we do visualization meditation, we might look at the Buddha statue, but then when we close our mind, we just remember what it looks like and hold that image in our mind and review the different components of it. And it's really, really helpful, you know, because the Buddha is so peaceful. And just by looking at that, your mind goes, you know, it's like, okay, I can touch into my own internal peace here too. I don't have to be revved up all the time. Okay, so very helpful for calming the mind. 
Yeah? And when you develop concentration or sta- stabilizing meditation on the image of the Buddha, then you're really implanting that feeling of peace in your mind in a very strong way. Yeah? And so that you can come back to it, you know. You might be in some situation in your life, at work or wherever, and all hell's breaking loose, but you have that mental image of the Buddha sitting so calmly. That can appear in your mind even, you know, though your eyes are open. In the same way that if I say, you know, think, think of President Obama, you have a mental image in your mind even though your eyes are open. Okay? But to, to think of the Buddha, you know, really it can be very helpful to us in many, many different kinds of situations that we encounter in our life. So that's one of the, the purposes of the visualization meditation and how we use it. Okay, so we have a, couple, a few minutes for questions, if you have some. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, I don't know if I have that. What do you do first? What is the starting <laughs> What do you do first? Like if you're just first coming to Buddhism and, yeah. yeah. Um, I would say uh, l- learn from a teacher, okay, and and uh, you know learn about meditation and learn about the whole idea of the B- the Buddhist worldview, yeah, and uh, and then you know you might learn something about. We'll also start learning about, let's say, dealing with anger and some of those kinds of meditations, and the Buddhist worldview, and you know what the Buddha taught, and uh, and then putting it into practice and setting up a, a daily meditation. So, in your daily meditation, you may start out with just some breathing meditation, let's say, for ten minutes, and then uh, some contemplating meditation, where you contemplate one of the topics that the Buddha taught. And then if you can, you know, go for teachings, you know, in a consistent way. Um, Also going for retreats and courses is very, very helpful because that gives you a more, uh, uh, a longer period of time to really go into things. Yeah. It's very helpful in this process of learning to, um, you know, sometimes you, 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 you may go to different groups and some teachers kind of really resonate with you and some don't and some meditation techniques resonate with you and some don't. So sometimes there's a little bit of of exploration there. That really depends on the person, you know. Um, I happen to, I mean, I went to maybe two, this is way back in the 70s, um, you know, kind of two groups that taught meditation. I went to each one of them once or a talk once and that was it, and then I went to hear, uh, I went to hear one teacher, and then he was leading a retreat, and I went to that, and that was it. You know, those have been my teachers in my practice since. Um, whereas for other people, you know, it works out a little bit differently. Um, so, you, so you see, you know, how it works out for you. Um, but you also, uh, I think it's also good to know that that you should look for. Um, really check a teacher's quali- uh, qualifications and realize that not everybody who has the title teacher is is a reliable teacher. 
you know it's it's kind of like you know we have an, a spiritual supermarket in America don't we yeah and uh, and you can run around from this to this and that to that but um, you know so really check things out and I think the nice thing about the Buddhist teachings is they've been around for 2600 years it's not some technique that somebody developed last Tuesday and put in the, the New Age newspaper, you know, for only $99.99. Yeah, but it's, it's something that's, you know, been around and that people have practiced for 26 centuries and gained the results of. So it's something uh, very, very reliable. Uh-huh. Do you find generally concentration is the problem to start with? Um, not just concentration. I mean, concentration is a problem as an ongoing problem. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know? Because our minds are just like... You know, so of course, you know, we, we, we're trying to calm our mind down and, you know, develop some concentration that... That's really good. But then uh, also to, to really think about things in a deep way, yeah, and to learn to reflect on them. And, and especially as we learn about karma, you know, and begin to develop um, some introspection about our actions and the motivation of our actions and the results, immediate results of our actions, long-term results of our actions, you know, that developing that whole understanding and, and uh, you know, beginning to change our behavior in a day-to-day -day mode. You know, because I think our spiritual practice should influence our day-to-day -day behavior. You know, it's not just come on Sunday and pray and, you know, or breathe and the rest of the week do who knows why, you know. <laughs> Okay, but I think our spiritual practice and what we're learning should should really cause us to reflect on our daily actions, uh, so that we become kinder and wiser people, you know, and treat the people around us better, you know, and become a happier person inside, because we're not so buffeted around by our emotions, our disturbing emotions. Okay. Yeah. Could you um, address habit energy? Because it seems like this question and all of what you talk about uh -huh. really is driven by what's what we're used to doing. Yeah, yeah. Not just for this life. Right, and we're very much creatures of habit. And we come into this life with certain habits, emotional habits, or sometimes even physical habits. Yeah, and actually the word meditation comes is the same verbal root as to familiarize or habituate. So, you know, meditation is developing new mental habits, you know, new ways of understanding that are much more beneficial, new ways of, of um, reacting emotionally that are much more beneficial. So we're, we're very, dealing very much with our habit energy. And... Um, we all of a sudden realize how much we have of it. <laughs> yeah? And we have some good habits, but then we start noticing, oh boy, you know, kind of every time somebody looks at me cross-eyed, I feel offended. 
Huh, I didn't know that about myself. Boy, I sure get offended really easily. No wonder people at work find it difficult to work with me because I'm always feeling offended. Yeah, because I just, people look at me and I just, I'm too sensitive. You know, I project all sorts of meaning onto when the, how they say hello that may not be there. Okay, so you can begin to see these kinds of um, habits and begin to assess them and evaluate them, and, and you know, and then you pick out the ones that are the most harmful, and you really work, you know, put your energy towards working with with those really serious habits. Yeah, and developing new habits in their stead. So, it's lunchtime now. That's a habit we have. <laughs> um, we always close a session with some, uh, a short meditation and dedication. Okay, so just for a minute or two, review some of the points that you heard so that you can remember them later and put them into practice. So this meditation, you're more contemplating the things and remembering them so you, you can take them home with you. And let's rejoice that we were able to spend the morning together doing something really useful and meaningful. And really rejoice at all the, what we call merit or good energy that we created as individuals and also as a group. And let's send that out into the universe together with our aspirations that all living beings can be peaceful within themselves and thus be peaceful with each other. And so that all living beings can think of benefiting each other. And so that everyone can develop their 
fullest spiritual potential all the way to full awakening. Due to this merit may we soon attain the awakened state of Guru Buddha that we may be able to liberate all sentient beings from their suffering. May the precious body mind not yet born arise and grow. May the born have no decline, but increase forever. 